Welcome to episode 51 of the Rescue Swimmer Mindset Podcast. I am joined by Brendan Deckard today, a Air Force pararescue jumper, as well as Cody Wright, my co-host. Welcome, Brendan. Thanks for coming. Hey, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so we, we were just talking briefly just now about the the Rescue Swimmer motto, So Others May Live, which is very comparable to the Air Force PJ model of our uh, motto of these things we do that others may live. Um, so which one did we decide was the first <laughs> to, to adopt that similar? I model? think we're going to say that we, we stole it. <laughs> the swimmer stole it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, the PJs initiated it, but the, yeah, the swimmers made it their own. <laughs> yeah. That's what it seems like. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's dive into a little bit of the, Air Force PJ history before we dive into yours, Brendan. So when did uh, the Air Force PJs start? So like timelines and all that stuff, like I'm, I'm probably not your guy to like give you, you know, the specific details on that. I just, I do know that like we talked about kind of like the medical field and stuff like that. PJ is kind of like starting the, the history there in like 1940s realm. Um, but as far as like the whole, you know, Maroon Beret, these things we do as we live, all that, all that jazz, um, I was like Vietnam era. Um, and then like we were kind of talking about earlier specifically because like you guys needed to be able to go into those, um, that terrain, like that canopy of the trees and everything out there that was just so hard that they'd use these devices force penetrators that we can go in, drop in, grab a guy, get out like real quick. Um, and then we were established a lot on the ideas or the thoughts and the backs of like smoke jumpers actually, which is kind of interesting for our history that like, that's where we kind of developed. Yeah. It's a pretty big Canadian job. The smoke jumpers. <laughs> that That's like, that's like such a, that's like the civilian. Um, yeah. Like special operations, if you will, but they don't get paid anything. They like, uh, yeah, if, you, if you're a smoke jumper, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I got some actually good buddies that are, they double as, you know, uh, PJs in the guard, on the guard or reserve side, but then they're, smoke jumpers because initially i got in that's what i wanted to do so i got i just deployed with one he was out there he's a smoke jumper and he's telling me like the pay he's like yeah it's i love that job but i gotta do something else yeah what it's like i think i i guess it's seasonal more or less so but i think it's what like 30 grand maybe so it's like sometimes it'll start out that low and you know sometimes you can get up to a lot higher like depending on the areas you're in like california is making a lot more than the oregon uh smoke jumpers like it's like a difference of 20 20 to 30 K starting out versus like 60, 60 K starting out. Like it's a pretty good jump. Wow. I don't, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's, let's, let's get out of the smoke jumper history and, yeah. and get into yeah. the, to your history of becoming a PJ. So yeah. What, what got you into that career path? Cause you know, personally I think like, or, or even the public, I think we're kind of more in the, uh, the knowledge of Navy SEALs, Green Berets. They're always depicted in either like cinema or, you know, on the, on the media, but the air force PJ are kind of like the unsung heroes. So what, what got you into that field? Yeah. And sorry to jump back to the smoke jumper thing, but I actually, that's all I ever wanted to do was all I ever wanted to be was a smoke jumper since I was like a little kid. So I actually went to college trying to figure it out. I couldn't go on that route with like college. So I got out, like, didn't know what to do. Um, thought maybe like firefighting in the military, that'd be a good idea. My buddy, who's actually a, a Navy rescue, uh, diver, one of those guys. And he, um, 
he was like, dude, go PJ. Like, I wish I could go back in time and go PJ. And I didn't know what it was. So I walked into the recruiters. They told me what, like, they do and everything. And I heard, like, medicine. And I was like, all right, I'm on board. Like, let's do it. So that's how I, like, discovered it. Like, I didn't see anything, you know, in, like, on paper and, like, online or anything. You know, I didn't find anything about it there. It's just from, from people telling me about it. I don't know. Yeah, so so what? You just walked into, like, a an Air Force recruiter after that or? Yeah, so I, I literally just walked in and the guy was like, he was like, hey man, like, you want to go PJ? Like, do you know anything about, do you know how to swim? Because like, it's a big thing. And I was like, yeah, I swim in college. And he was like, all right, you're going, I'm going to sign you up. You're going to go, you're going to do that. Because like, it's really good for them as recruiters to like put in uh, the battlefield. I think actually they changed the name, but like that battlefield airman like group, whether it's TACP, CCTs, uh, SR now, or the PJs like really good for them too. So they're like really pushing to get guys into these uh, careers. Nice. Did you have to pre-qualify for that? Like a PT test or something, or was it just kind of, uh, yeah, yeah. You got to take, uh, you got to take like a pre-test for physical for it. So there's yeah. like, there's running push-ups, pull-ups, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, just to get there. And then again, you got to do it like when, right before you start, um, what used to be in doc, it's called the pass test. So it's just right. like, yeah. What was the hardest part? of that test for you that's it well for me like growing up i've been a swimmer since i was like five and my joints do not handle running well at all <laughs> i'm just not a runner so that was like timeline wasn't bad but like i would just come out broken from, from just running what was the run run was a 947 for a mile and a half like it's nothing you know insane but yeah, that's that's faster than the rescue swimmers yeah i mean that's the minimum yeah that's the 947 is like the minimum time you have to reach. Yeah. Like you have to be fast. Yeah, that's fast. So also like these times and stuff, like all these things changed. I'm fairly certain. Like I, like I kind of told, mentioned to you guys earlier, like I don't actually know what happened, like what's now going on. Cause everything changed from what I went through. Yeah. Cause I did it like four years ago and they're starting to do this new thing called ANS versus Indox. So how do these standards have, have shifted? Yeah. What, what is it now? Like, uh, is it, is it tapas or the pj selection model or those two different things or yeah no so it's there's so like when you get in you get a slot as a battlefield airman or whatever it is so you can you go into basic as like you know a battlefield airman or, or whatever they call it now and you go to um this course like battlefield airman prep or the prep course and you do all these tests, all these uh, physical activities and all this stuff. And they kind of, they kind of there to side, like for you kind of, Hey, you're going to be a PJ or Hey, you're going to go the CCT route. And from that point, then you move into these different selections, which now for PJs is ANS, um, which used to be in doc. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of, my like little research on it, it, it does definitely seem like it's more tailored towards, you know, hey, is your personality fit for our teams more so than like, hey, can you crank out the the minimum requirements? Like, oh, sure, you're like you're physically fit, but can you withstand like can you work well as a team? Yeah, it's, and that's what I'm hearing. From uh, some like of the leadership at my unit here that have like gone and watched it and actually physically were there, 
I think they've taken some good things and really put it into this new program and it's like really benefiting, but I also think they took out some huge positives of the old indoc and the old selection process. They like took them out and that, and like put in some questionable things depending on who you are. Um, like what the pit of puke, the pit of puke. Yeah. I mean, we don't really have to get too much into it just because I really don't know too much about it. Sure. There's like, there's phases where like, it's just, it's just different. <laughs> right. Yeah. So wait, what, what is that? Cause like, I, I, what's that? What was that show? Like surviving the cut. Of course I, I, nice. I took a, I took a glance at that. And uh, what is that? Like you guys, that training where you guys roll and actively like a lot of folks puke and you so, gotta get out. Surviving the cut. Yeah. So I actually didn't, well, I haven't watched a lot of these, these prior PJ videos, you know? Yeah. Um, so if that's like, if I'm, if I'm tracking, that's, you're talking about the video of like basically the indoctrination course. And it was a bunch of different clips of like, <laughs> I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's always stuck with me. Like as the, the stand out in the surviving the cut show, I never really watched the show much, but the only thing that really stood out with me was this in the, I believe it was the PJ selection was these, these candidates rolling over each other in like a pit of like that foam or whatever. Um, and you're not allowed to puke in it. So <laughs> you've got to puke in your hand, <laughs> like take it on the outside. And the instructors are like, clean up your puke. <laughs> I mean, hey, I, I didn't, I didn't go through that. Um, okay. as society changes, obviously we're changing too. So like things are, it's one of those, yeah, one of those drills that got phased out. Yeah, Damn. Yeah. Phased out and continue to get phased out. Damn, seemed like a classic. Whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sad I missed that. Yeah. So let's go back to like the, the physical challenges of, of graduating through the pipeline. What was your, aside from running, um, how about what's the biggest challenge for the average candidate? Yeah, so you see guys fall out a lot due to injuries, um, whether it's through indoc with like a huge one, is, you know, shin splints, hernias, just from that amount of physical like stress on your body, guys get injured all the time. That's a huge one. Um, and then talking about just the pipeline itself, so past you know that selection course, a huge um, a huge issue or a huge uh, hill is paramedic, like just getting through the paramedic school. Cause we do, we don't go through like that Sockham course and everything. We go through, if we used to, they changed it, but we used to go through UNM. So University of New Mexico, and we actually were enrolled at the University of New Mexico as students taking right. their paramedic course. We were on base doing it at our own place, but we we're actually enrolled students there. And that was tough because like, you're going from, you know, everything military to then you're just going back to school and you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah that was a big that was a big issue for a lot of guys and then um outside of those you know injuries and that and that was those were the two biggest yeah how many people fail out of the like after like the initial selection how many people end up failing out in the pipeline um like what would you say is like the rate so like i'll give it from like the beginning to the end as far as my class we had See, we had we had two classes end up combining at my indoc. So we ended up with like, if you combine the two from the beginning, we had like 
60 people start and we had like 35 graduate at the end of Indoc. And that was the biggest class ever. Like the next biggest before that was like 18. Right. And then um, we had a couple dropouts. Like I think we had three or four at our dive school, which came next. And then you go through paramedic and everything. And we had like another five guys. So about post Indoc, we had about seven guys drop out from those. And it's not like they're just dropping out the whole thing. They just get recycled to the next All class. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, and then again, uh, PJU, the final step we had, I think it ended up being seven guys fall out from our team. So you like, you're continuously like losing small numbers, but a lot of times they just get recycled back. They fix their issues and then they progress past that. Some guys fall out, but it's not, you know, like completely they're gone, but it's not, after indoc or after ans it's not nearly as much like it's like 90 percent or it used to be like 90 percent attrition at indoc and then it was like a 90 percent pass rate after that right yeah right. makes sense yeah is it i'm assuming it's kind of heartbreaking because you know ourselves whenever we'd have other rescue swimmer candidates fail out after you know two months that was kind of dude you lost like you lost a part of your team but you guys are together for like an even longer period of time so yeah. how does it feel after like so long and losing somebody? Yeah. I mean, I have buddies that like I went through not only indoc, but basic training with that we've wow. been together for a long time. And we got to the very end. Like the very, we were in PJU was at the very end and, and these guys failed out of that and got recycled back to the next class. So it's like, it's bitter, you know, bittersweet. It's like, damn, we're losing them, but Hey, they're going to be on the next class and they're going to graduate just a couple months after in the grand scheme of things, a couple months. No, yeah, big, no big deal for sure. What is, what is PJU? It's the final like course that we go through that basically is, is our uh, apprenticeship. So it's just teaching us PJ skills. So all the, all the schools we went through prior, we're now incorporating that into a course that involves like the actual PJs and the operation operations of it. Yeah. Mission. Now, like uh, you mentioned a lot of things just now, like one of the things was dive school. And I always thought that was one of like the coolest sounding schools. Uh, is that the same school that like the, is it the other Navy social? Yeah. So we do our, we have our own air force side. We're at the Navy um, dive and salvage training center. We get, so some guys go there, some guys go to Key West and do it with army. Um, but like, it's our own, if you go to the Navy one, it's our own air force run program. It's just at the same site. So like we're there same time, like EOD's there. Um, a lot of times we're sitting, we're there with like recon Marines while they're doing their dive course too. Right on. Same time, think, different programs. Yeah. Cause the coast guard even goes through Panama city. Now we have a dive unit now or a yeah. dive rate. So I think I'm sure they have some sort of totally separate program, but it's Panama yeah. city. Yeah. Nice. Is that the one where like they tie up your, your, I should know. I, I actually, I'm a diver too. I mean, like, I'm a, I'm a recreational diver too. <laughs> like yeah. the, the regulator. <laughs> like yeah. Tied up. Yeah. 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 They do that at that course for sure. We do uh, what's called one man's. So you spend, I can't remember the timeline, but it was like a good, good, like 10 minutes or so. And you're underwater and in initial phases, they just, um, they just hit you and they put like, they're just bashing you essentially. Like, some of these videos that you can find online are actually pretty funny and comical for what they're doing down there. Cause it's, especially cause guys will go in almost like, you know, you just graduated in doc, you're feeling like, you know, confident and instructor slash student roles is a little different. It's still like, you know, intimidating, but you're a little more confident. So like some guys are like 
talking crap to the instructors. Like <laughs> you guys are like, Oh, am I going to get you for this one, man? Oh yeah. Easy day. You know? And then the instructors will just, <laughs> on them. are those, is that course run by uh, PJs also, or is it just Navy or is it air force divers or like who runs that course? Who are the instructors? We had, we had uh, prior like Navy corpsmen. We had air force PJs. We had air force CCTs as well running it. Okay. Um, just some contract, like you know, contract civilian um, divers running it too. They're just pawn guys. Gotcha. Yeah. That sounds pretty fun. Um, another cool one that I found out that you guys do is you go through like a rock climbing course yeah. as well. Is that, is that accurate? <laughs> yes. No, like we do, we do a ropes course. Like that's in PJU. That's like at the end when you're going through the whole, let's incorporate everything. You actually go through what we call uh, the ropes course. Why I say it's not climbing is because we're not actually really ever climbing. Like, yes, that's a skill set that we do have and we do practice, but mainly our stuff is like, you know, belaying people down or lowering instead of like in repelling instead of like climbing up, it's just like, moving people. So either hauling them up or, you know, putting them like lowering them down, repelling ourselves down. We're not like physically climbing. Yeah. Cause you never really have to like go climb a rock face to get yeah. to a survivor. You'd always get lowered from a helicopter or something like that. Yeah. Or yeah. From the cliff. Like you just yeah, exactly. Like, you repel from the cliff. Yeah. 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 I don't know. What if you're like pinned down and you need to like evac out of this Canyon, <laughs> you know? And then, yeah. There's no, ba- there's no backup. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That'd be a pretty uh, niche. Yeah. That'd be a niche case. <laughs> do you guys, uh, then, then correct me if this one's wrong, then what about Arctic training? Do you guys go through something like that? Yeah. A lot of times we'll do that. Like once you graduate. So I'm actually doing an Arctic survival course here. Um, in, I believe like later in the year, like later 21, like March or sometime. But um, we're going to like we'll be in like little Switzerland and Alaska. Like you go to some pretty cold places, and we're actually just gonna get dropped out. They're just leaving us. We're gonna get dropped in by uh, 47, stage 47, and then they're just gonna take off. We're just gonna spend a week there. Nice surviving. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So we'll get that. We'll do that course now that I'm already like graduated. That usually happens then, but not usually while you're in. I mean, you go through SEER, the survival course. That you know a whole bunch of people go through but it's not like an actual arctic course i hear that sears a pretty uh fun one too i mean i had a blast because i was with really like good dudes and good friends um i went through actually with a bunch of tech peas and those guys were awesome but uh i mean it's just like you get you get a, a whole multitude of people that go through that course between pilots and you know air crew like loadies and stuff and then us and some other people like it's it's a good course it's fun so um i heard this story by some coast guardsmen that that have gone and they told us a story of apparently years ago navy seals att- oh, I, I mean they always attend but uh navy seals were there and i guess yeah you're on this kind of fortified base and you're it's it's a simulated scenario where you know you've been uh apprehended by somebody and they're they're kind of like i guess like torching you and that's that's what the whole uh course is about but i guess what these navy seals did is they were able to take like take over the situation this this training system and they pinned down i guess the instructors are like lock them into the cells that they were initially in and then 
and then evacuated the base, which I, I guess is like far-ish out there because like they take you to like this remote location. This is all from this story, by the way. So I don't yeah. know. You correct me. But um, so anyway, these Navy SEALs are like took over the instructors, put them in a cell booked it off base i think they got mcdonald's came back and then when the relief instructors came the the navy seal candidates were just like sitting there eating their mcdonald's with the instructors <laughs> in the cell <laughs> yeah i mean there's uh there's seal courses kind of like not all throughout the states but like there's different areas seals go to a different uh location um a lot of times like for us yeah we did that whole um like it was you know an evasion phase of it in the beginning where you go through this whole like survival evasion where they're searching you and you're just trying to get out in this like little area that they have um the um like out in spokane like up up north and some of the the um like in the forest out there and you're evading and then they you, you don't evade like they end up capturing you and then they put you in a, in a prison in this little cell and then they start doing the whole torture thing and getting you in groups. And yeah, I mean, they, they do their best. I mean, there's definitely times where we had like guys just walk out. They were like, Oh, no one's around. Okay. I'm gonna walk out. You know, they were like, wait, 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 don't leave. Like you got to do the course. Like you can't just walk out of here. Like let's get the training value out of it. All right. You guys, you guys won, you left, but come on back. Um, <laughs> I've heard that happens a lot. I saw that happen actually. It's pretty funny, but, um, the the seals go somewhere else so i actually don't i couldn't talk on their piece because they do it somewhere not where we do it what would like you know our company is called the rescue summer mindset what would you say is like the mindset of somebody going the pj route versus another elite military uh career i mean the mindset's pretty pretty standard like you like especially working with everybody there is difference between the soft groups and like that versus the regular air force or, you know, army and all that stuff. There is a different mindset there that you can see, but like, and working with seals or when we like work with other units, tech P's or any other, you know, people like it's all, everybody's pretty much similar mindset. Everyone's got the same like headspace as far as just, uh, work and everything. But, um, yeah, you don't notice too much of a difference until you look outside of that soft and you're like, whoa, it's a different world. True, yeah. So you're what, like you're, you're a year through the pipeline now, right? Yeah, I graduated in August 2019. So what's the future looking like for you? Man, I don't I don't actually know too much. I know I got some uh, the, the space flight rescue stuff coming up. So the whole like SpaceX and Boeing that are doing their little missions and stuff. Uh, one of our teams, my, like my team at the unit is, uh, on the hook for it. So I did the last one that just came in. I'm actually wearing like the shirt for Bob and Doug, the astronauts that came down. Um, we were out in Hawaii, uh, waiting to see if they crash landed in the Pacific, like that we were on the hook to go pick them up. We had a team down in North Carolina to pick them up. And then SpaceX has their own, you know, thing that's picking them up, man. If those guys, if we have to pick them up though, that's a super bad day. Cause like those guys are landing on a moving boat out on the water. Like it's pretty impressive on some of those things. Like, that's so gnarly. yeah, if we're picking them up, especially in the Pacific, like that's a bad day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bad day. yeah that's, that's, that's our future. Like we got, we got some deployments coming up, but everything being canceled, 
you know, and things like reducing force and everything out there. We're getting a lot of questions on whether or not certain, like some teams are going to deploy it or not, or if they're staying because everything's just a question right now. Ah, uh, so like COVID's greatly affecting the deployments. So this like not COVID, just like the reduction of force. So like we're we're, yeah, shutting, down, we're shutting down bases. There's less going on out there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been hearing that. Yeah, I guess like a bunch of the pipelines are kind of backed up right now with people just because this, they don't need as many people filling the spaces. Yeah, I mean it's we're losing we're losing like a one of the bases we've been out there for a long time, and they're already pulling a, a ton of forces out of Iraq alone. Like it's just not we're not putting bodies out there anymore. So what what is your perspective on like as a junior member, of course, uh, as to like troops? being in Iraq and I think even still Afghanistan, like what, what is our, the mission currently over there? So, well, I mean, with my view personally, like dude, send me out there. Yeah. Give me, give me your view. Yeah. yeah the, the young PJ. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a young PJ. Like send me out there. I'll stay out there for as long as you need me. You know, let me come home every, you know, for a couple months. Like I got a girlfriend here. I, I got to see my dog and my family, but I'm a young PJ. Like I need that experience. I want to get out there and I want to do it. And that's pretty much a lot of the new, like young guys would have the same opinion and we're just, they're shutting everything down. So I'm like, yeah, you know, but, uh, like the PJ, like, um, mission, there's a ton of different views and and there's a lot smarter people out there, especially on PJs itself that can speak to what we should be doing. My thought is more like, hey, we got we should start moving into more of a soft role and start attaching, or even just within within the Air Force itself, start doing like the 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 eighteen series, start building shredouts for us with combining tactics, CCTs ourselves and SR as teams. Well, you just used a lot of words, buddy. We we got oh, sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we've got like you got combat control, you have PJs, you have special reconnaissance and you have the TACPs. So with CCTs and TACPs, like a lot, a lot of times, a lot of CCTs are JTACs as well as, and that's like TACPs are JTACs. So like having a JTAC on the ground, I don't care what you, like who you are, having a JTAC on the ground with you is to me extremely important. Um, and then special reconnaissance, like that kind of speaks for itself. And then having us as like medics and everything, we start building our own teams and start having missions incorporated that, or we just keep going with what we're doing a lot of times and just start focusing heavier on sending uh, PJs from units, onesies, twosies out to, you know, 18, like the, the Green Berets, like ODAs or, or those teams, Rangers and stuff, and start attaching with those teams and using our skills to implement on the team with them and help them out while they're there too. Interesting. Is there talk of that doing some like adjacent work with with those forces? Yeah, so we do. We we are doing that a whole a, a whole bunch right now. It's like a lot of times it's more you deploy, you get out there. Um, the teams will send like a few guys from the where we're sitting on CSAR, so like just our search and rescue. And you'll have a lot of times where you have too many. You have more guys than you need. So the guys that aren't needed will send out to these units like Rangers and ODAs, whoever requests us like help support and we'll go out there and we'll attach with them as medics. A lot of times these guys want 
they want medics, more medics. And so it's pretty easy for us to get on there. And like I said, JTACs, like CCTs, detectives, everybody wants them. So they go out and attach to a lot of teams. Um, I mean, that's the main role of tech P they go out there and they attach with the army, but we have what's called the, the two, four, which is our like tier one unit. And those guys are constantly doing that. Like that's their, that's what they do where sometimes stateside we can get a, a two, four will say like, Hey, we don't have the bodies. We got all our guys out right now. We need a guy from one of the units. So whether that's a guard reserve unit or uh, the Moody DM or Vegas units, they'll send a guy there and they'll actually go spend two weeks with that team and they'll train up with that team. And if that team's like this dude's solid, we'll send, we'll go, you'll go out with them. And if you're not solid, like get sent back and they'll bring in another guy. How can you be an air force PJ reserve? Cause it's such extensive training. Yeah. So these guys are put on essentially active duty status throughout the pipeline. And then, um, they are, they're still for another year after they graduate, they're still like permanent party there, like essentially on active duty status until they get through a year in their, in their five level upgrade. And then they can go back to that, um, or like reserve traditional reserve, a TR role. And so they're, they're still getting use from them. And a lot of times like the reserve or guard units, like they're, they're mainly like a lot of times the state stuff. So like up in Portland, the Portland reserves do a lot of, a lot of work and, and same with the guard out on actually like Mount hood yeah. out there. And they'll do the civilian rescue portion of it. Like we'll get it sometimes active duty, but a lot of times you'll see it as the, the guards, the reserves. Yeah. We went to like our AHARs, you know, advanced helicopter summer school. And we had a couple of PJs who were in that course. And both those guys were reserve PJs out of Portland. And they just, oh, nice. talked. yeah. So it's, it's kind of cool. They just talked about like rescues they did in Alaska, I guess. They like deployed out of like a, sounded like a big, like C-130 or something, like doing like jumps into the water from, I don't know what that's about. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I mean, the Alaska unit, that's like, if you want to, if you want to go be a PJ, you want to go do what, on paper is, is what we do. Like that's the Alaska unit for sure. Those guys get some pretty awesome stuff. Like the, that, that rescue they just did in a, like a couple of years, I think it's a couple of years now, maybe a year. They jumped in, um, from a dude that was in a, involved in a bear attack, got mauled by a bear. So they ended up jumping in for that one, which is pretty cool. Cause like, you don't see a lot of jump missions. Right. Um, which is cool, but that's, that's a, like, you hear it all the time. You guys are like, you want to do, the actual like the whole pj mission that you see on paper and everything like go to alaska uh yeah you say on paper that's the that's the mission but like isn't that more like you know that's that's more like search and rescue in the civilian world right yeah i mean like our, our primary role being csar is like search and rescue like you see just being like combat a lot of times we're out there but but right nowadays it's just not that's not happening there's not a whole bunch of pilot punch outs there's not a whole lot of um planes going down like it happened still it just happened but it's not like this huge thing anymore so we're kind of stuck in a like we'll go and deploy and we're kind of stuck there just sitting there like all right well we're here you know and it's not happening so there's not a whole lot of search and rescue going on yes it does still happen but just not as much like especially back when we we're talking like history back in vietnam like that was just every everything was that right nowadays not so much 
So what was this case? This case, this case is you like a, a Air Force PJ jumped out to assist like a grizzly attack. Yeah, no. So yeah, so to the guy, I don't know the whole details of the story really, but I do like the guy got attacked by a grizzly. He was able to like call it in or get help, or he was with somebody that called it in. I think they had a they had a, a, a snowmobile out there with them. And the, the PJs, because of how far out they were, the PJs, the quickest way to them was they jumped out. So they did a DBSL jump. So they just did like a, a, it's a double, double back static line. So they just essentially like a static line jump, but with a free fall parachute. They jumped out. They, they got to basically close enough to the guy. And they walked into him and they started doing their medical treatment. And then they got out. I don't know exactly. I don't remember how they got out. Um, but yeah, so they got out there like that was pretty recently and you don't hear jump missions all that often. Like, so, it's, you know, that's, that's your, that's your PGA thing right there. You're like, Oh, I'm gonna go jump in and save the day. Right. Like that's, you know, what everybody wants to do. So that's the place to do it. They're doing a whole bunch of, you know, Arctic survival, actual rescues and stuff too. So that's the place to go do it. As far as like deployments, like the standard CSAR is just not, it's still happens, but it's just not as much as it, as it used to be. That's cool. Where where was this in Alaska? Do you know? Nah. Hmm. No, I don't know. I mean, I could I could research the like for for you guys. I could research this like pretty quickly. Um, I'll just hit up a couple of my buddies and I'll I'll send you guys offline. Like I'll send you the the link and the details of it. If you like, oh, do sure. want to know oh, yeah, about maybe it? Maybe we can get in touch with them. Yeah. Yeah, because it's pretty. It's a pretty good one. I mean, we can talk about the Tamara rescue if you guys want. Like, yeah, let's let's go into that because yeah, yeah. So the the Tamara rescue happened like just a little bit before I got to the unit, but it was actually like our unit, the forty eighth, and Coast Guard. So there was, uh, I think it was there was two vessels, and there were there were uh, like Mexican uh, fishing boats, and the crane on one of the boats like had a malfunction. The whole thing just collapsed. Like. So the, the fishing net got stuck in the prop of the boat. The boat couldn't run. It ended up having like three people got injured from it, two of which had some serious injuries between just like head injuries and, and like legs and some bleeding and stuff. And so they were like 700 miles or like just a, a far way, like two days or three days or whatever from shore or from port, like to get back. So they had that, like, so Coast Guard went out there and was out there doing Coast Guard things. And then the, the PJs from here and the C-130 from here flew out um, from Tucson. And actually those guys jumped in uh, with PJs and, and, a, and one of our docks here at the unit. So they actually did a tandem jump with the docks. So the docks strapped up to one of the, the J's and they jumped them in. Yeah, pretty cool. So then they so got on, on. Where is that offshore of? You said Alaska? No, no, no. This was off of, uh, I think, like, like just straight out of San Diego area. Okay, like, right on. Like, yeah, Mexico, Mexico, Southern California area. Yeah, seven more miles off coast, off coast. And those guys, yeah. So they jumped in, they got on board, and then like the they, so for us, like team members, the junior guys, like we're the medics. You're the medic as like the junior guy. So the the medics started treating. Our doc was there as like. Hey, cause he's a doc. He's going to be the best, you know, for those, for those, those, uh, those patients. And, um, 
so they started treating the ducks kind of watching them and, and they're doing their thing and they ended up you know saving those guys and it was it was a really big thing it was pretty cool especially coming out of tucson being able to fly out there and do a jump mission on that boat and working alongside coast guard it was pretty cool um definitely had a lot of like aars after that that was beneficial um with some things that just went on with it but yeah it was pretty, it was pretty cool that was recent that was recent about a year ago about a year and a half you said definitely got a lot of ars what's that uh, just after actions like oh yeah just some good lessons learned yeah yeah that is pretty gnarly that's yeah. cool yeah, we just call it a debrief <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah sorry lessons my bad lessons learned yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah, so I mean, you must be pretty psyched. Are, are you are you trying to? So I mean, it sounds like you're trying to get deployed, like whenever you get the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I definitely do because I need, like, I want to further, like, my progression medically, and like, eventually, like, I'm hoping to grow and become P PA eventually, maybe possibly. So I want. You know, it's like the worst thing in the world because you don't want to hope for anybody to have this day. But at the same time, like I, like you want that practice, you want that hands-on experience, real world, making a difference and treating and working on people. Because um, there's only so much you can get through training. So like I do, because I am a junior guy. Like I'm probably, I'm one of the newer guys at the unit for sure. So like I do want to go out there. Like my mom and my girlfriend are gonna hate that I say that, but like. Like I do want to get out there and do what I've been trained to do. So it's kind of frustrating to get like, you know, stuck stateside and just sitting here, staying, waiting for potentially getting deployed. I'm, I'm definitely asking um, like, Hey guys, like send me out, like put me on the team. Let me augment. Let me go work with these guys. I'll work, you know, I'll work my butt off and I'll prove to you that like I can do it. And then I'll prove it to them that I can be with them. And that's like what all like young guys are doing, should be doing, are doing. Um, Cause right now there's just not a lot going on. Yeah. What are you doing? Like on a daily basis right now? Like, uh, like a day, a day in life kind of like when you go to work, what are you doing? So when I go to work, I do a lot of uh, coordinating with the, the, so it's the 55th, the helicopter unit out here. Um, and I'm spending weeks, like I'll spend a week planning and then I'll spend a week, doing that training that I have planned. So like here coming up quick, like we're going to do some just training on helos and stuff. We're working on like upgrades for guys. So get, getting guys like an element leader or getting guys like the AIE masters. So just being able to, to, to run the helo as far as the back of the helo, as far as the PJ side goes. So like running the fast rope, running the stokes, running all that equipment that you have running. What's a stoke? Stokes. It's just a litter. Oh. Just making sure like everything is like correctly like staged, everything's safe, everybody's clipping in correctly and safely, um, and running those like insertions and you know to get in and out of the bird or to get in and out of your your uh, infill exfil. Is that like a is that a more advanced uh, qualification for a PJ or is that like pretty standard? It's pretty like it's pretty early on. You get it pretty early on, like. Some guys get it right out of the pipeline. Some guys get it on their first deployment. Some guys get it later. Like it's, it's, it should be something everybody gets pretty soon after just because it's, it's an important 
role. And it's important that there's more eyes than just one pair. That's making sure everyone in the back of that bird is safe. So like, we do want guys quickly to get it. We're like, you know, you get, you get jams and stuff that that happens up a little bit later, especially like free fall jump master. And as a little later, what's, um, what's your ultimate outcome as a PJ? Like, are you trying to, you know, become like, are you, are you trying to retire? Or? Yeah, I really don't know yet. Um, honestly, because I do, like, I do want to stay in, but I'm just not sure if I'm going to be doing active or if I'm going to get out and go to Garter Reserve. Like I worked with Portland um, and I got a taste of what reserve life is, at least on a deployment side. And that was kind of, kind of cool. Yeah. The, um, those guys kind of seem like they're living the dream in Portland. Um, yeah. It sounds like they just get sent to all the schools and they, you know, yeah. Doing- yeah, they do. They, yeah. Those are some good dudes too. Like, I, you know, I love working with them. Um, but like for me, like I do want to further um, becoming like, like I want to further medically. So I do want to become, more than just a medic. So I'm hoping I can get out and do like guard or reserve and, or maybe potentially staying in active and going outside and doing school for PA and becoming that. I've also heard stories of guys get out entirely, come a PA and then come back as an active duty guy, um, which honestly they, then they can, you know, remind us both, which would be awesome. But that'd be, if you get out, I think it's like, man, I can't remember. I think it's like five years or something. I don't know the number exactly, but if you get out and you haven't been a for that long, you got to go back through PJU. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that, must be, that must be funny, yeah. though. It's like going back through high school. Yeah. <laughs> the couple classes before my PJU class, there was a guy that that's what he did, and that's how I know about it because he was a prior PJ that is now going PJ again. That's unreal. But then you get a you get a bunch of prior PJs. Like I had a prior PJ on my team was seven level PJ. You know, like in for a while, and now he's decided to go officer and he's going pro. So he's got to go back through PJU. So he was with our team, which is nice as like a dude that's never been a PJ and you're going through PJU and you're like, oh, I got a guy that knows all about this. Yeah. Or you know, I don't want to give him too much credit, but yeah, he did. Yeah, he's good. he's a good PJ. He's a good dude. I wonder what that feels like to go through something so challenging twice, you know? It must be easier the second time. I mean, it's Maybe. not like it's not it's not like in doc all over again, you know. It's it is there are still physical challenges and then a lot of these guys like they're a lot older, right? So they're looking at these the the instructors at PJU and a lot of these dudes are really good buddies with the instructors cuz they went through a lot of times with each other. And so they'll get dropped and they're looking at their buddies and like, "Come on, Come on, man. Yeah. But they're still doing like everything with us. It's from a lot of them, you know, it is challenging, but at the same time, like they're going, they're going through again, but they're going through a whole different side of it going officer versus PJ. When you get to PJU, there is some separations in certain phases where there's some brand new things. Those, those guys are learning for sure. Yeah. And that is, that is funny. Like to be going through that with your peers, but they're now more or less your supervisors as your yeah. instructors. Yeah. Um, like even in boot camp, in the Coast Guard boot camp, there's those folks that were prior, either Coast Guard or prior service, and they're going through kind of like a fast track boot camp in like seven days or something like that. But it was really funny. I remember we were like in the uniform like distribution center, and you know we're kind of scared. We're brand new, fresh. Most of us are young. Uh, getting yelled at and then there's this other cc for this like 
these prior service folks and you see them in line they just got their uniform and uh he's trying to like chew them out and like he's yelling and you could see like half of them there's not many of them but like half of them were kind of like like smirking and like well i think one girl was actually cracking up she was like (laughs) (laughs) and and even this the company commander had a hard time like keeping his composure and smile he was like oh you're gonna laugh in my face but he was like don't you laugh at me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was quite quite interesting to watch it's like like we had a guy that was prior again navy like aviation aviation rescue divers what they guys those guys are but he went through that became like he had a line number for e8 in the navy got got out of the navy to go air force to go pj and he lost a couple stripes going Air Force, but he was graduating. When he graduated, he was 40 years old. Jesus. Yeah, went through everything. Graduated at 40 years old. And, man, that guy was – he was brittle. It was pretty funny. He's a good He's a good guy. That's pretty cool. I'm shocked that Air Force would take him, though. It just seems kind of old for a lot of that kind of training, you know, yeah, as far as just, like, the investment. He had a long – I think, like, the cutoff's, what, 35? Like, I think okay. – 35 when he when he came like he it right. took him took because he got super he got really injured he broke his back so he was off you know <laughs> he had a football accident he broke his back and then from that. that's kind of badass <laughs> freaking four years old yeah it's freaking super old uh it was, he, was, he was a good guy i never let him not live that down is 40 years old. Like that's so old to be graduating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an impressive story. It must've been cool to have him around, you know, have the yeah. salty sailor around. He was super salty. It was really fun to have him around. He was very yeah. angry. He had, he had, um, he had these quotes that would just come out of him. That he, like he used to always say, like, I'd be shaking like a dog shit and razor blades. <laughs> just like, what man? <laughs> like, what is that? You know? <laughs> Cause he's like always shaking. He'd be giving IVs and he's just like, shaking. <laughs> and he's always going, but he's shaking. <laughs> well, that's right. Cause you guys are NREMT. So like in, in paramedics. So like you're yeah. nationally registered paramedics. Um, but on top of that, like, don't you guys have even like higher powers as far as like what you can do out in the field? Yeah. So like we go through that paramedic, like I was telling you guys, and then, we end up going through dirt med, which is like the PJ med and our protocols start to get a little bit bigger. We're like, our docs are now we're under their license and we're practicing under their license and doing what they allow us to do. So that, that expands like some of the skill sets we can do, such as like finger thoracotomies and like chest tube, putting in a chest tube and, and certain things like that. We're like, and giving certain drugs where like normal, like, civilian paramedic like you're definitely not giving antibiotics at the civilian paramedic you're definitely not cutting some into somebody's chest and putting a tube in there like not doing that any of that so it we do get a little more leniency on things we can do um not a whole lot though but that's always that one that everyone knows about is the chest tube the fact that air force pjs can put in chest tubes um yeah and it's honestly not like you know, you hear story. I hear stories about it all the time. I go through all these courses, and it's not like a finger does like the same as a chest tube. But chest tubes are in a very prolonged field care scenario, like in a very prolonged scenario. Like, yeah, chest tubes for sure. 
But a lot of times, especially like PJs, like where we get in and we get out, we get guys out. Like if a dude's that messed up and your your uh, your darts are really not working, like you're gonna go to a finger and it, and it works great and it's gonna work for what we need. What well, what can you explain for the viewers what the process is, like of using a chest tube or a finger? Yeah. Um, so like we have a protocols, right? You got to follow by the book. You got to know by the book, like specifically, like you got to dart twice, two unsuccessful darts. But a lot of times with these darts, like if it works, regardless if it works for a couple seconds or for 30 minutes, like it still works. It's still successful. So a lot of guys will think like, oh, I darted him. It worked. I darted him. It worked. But now he's bad. Like then I go on, like people get like 30 darts, 30 freaking needles in their chest just to like help and then but like if not like if that's not working nothing's working there like our progression for the protocol is like we'll move into a finger throw economy which will just basically like right here on the guy we'll cut into him and you'll use these what they call them like kelly for forceps these kelly clamps they're like little curved kelly's um and you'll like cut to the bone to the rib and then you actually punch through the pleura. So like this little, like, it's like this, like a balloon, that kind of lining that just lines your, your thoracic cavity and your lungs. And you'll just punch through that. And then like, you'll let all that air escape. So the lung can then re-expand. Um, and past that, like, if that's not working a lot of times too, like you can get blood out of like hemothoraxes and stuff you get blood out. If you get a so chemo, you would use it, you would use it for that as well. I would, because then, like, what you can do is, like, you put your finger, like, you put your finger in there and kind of, like, oh, try to spread the ribs so that air can escape. And you'll actually, like, you can roll that patient and, like, you'll roll them. And if the patient has a hemo, like, it's not going to come pouring out, but, like, blood will, blood will come out or it should just based off of gravity. So blood will come out and then you'll know, like, hey, he's got a hemo, you know, and you can treat that and then and then past that like if that's not working like you can put your tube in and you'll just take another you know you'll take your clamps and you'll clamp your tube and then you'll just feed the tube in um and like you know you're just trying to get to like the air is going to go high right the blood's going to go low just off gravity and everything so like you're kind of trying to figure out where to put that tube based off of those things mm. but then you have to set up like we what we use is a high monk valve where you can use the the latex like glove as a finger as a like a valve only valve so like air and blood gets out, but no air comes back in. But a lot of times they say like, it doesn't work, especially in the environments we're in. It's just super dirty. It's super like, it can be very harmful for the patient. Mm -hmm. So in those like non-prolonged field care scenarios, like it's just, it's a lot. Not to mention like the way we seal that back up, like best practice is sutures, you know, and everything and doing that. Um, but a lot of times like time crunches or like you're under fire or something's happening, like you're going to throw a chest seal on that and seal it up that way. And then you'll later on go down and you'll fix all that stuff. Fix anything that like. Was Wait, so you guys are also trained to do sutures out in the field? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, wherever. I mean, we have like, I'll have like a suture kit with me. Um, if I'm doing a suture in the field, I'm definitely in a prolonged scenario. I'm not going to be on the X doing sutures, you know, stitching somebody up. Like it's just not, I'm not going to do that, but I will throw a chest seal on because those things are super sticky. Like a chest seal is basically like freaking insanely great duct tape. Like it just, it'll stick. Yeah. yeah it'll stick really well. 
Um, I'll just slap those on. Or a lot of guys will just slap those on for like it's efficient, like just quickly. It's a lot quicker what, to have someone. What's the scenario where you're saying you, you might stick 30 needles into a guy? So a lot of times, like just your, your breathing alone, like if your lungs puncture, your lung is going to be pushing air out if it's right. So if like you put a chest seal on a guy or whatever, you close that hole, like besides darting, you could also burp this, like I'll go into it, but like you would throw a chest seal on now you're closing that. So if that lung is punctured, you're guaranteeing another pneumo, you're guaranteeing that pressure to build up in his thoracic cavity and pushing down on that lung through that pressure of the air. So you'll redart and let that air escape. And then it'll happen again. Then you'll redart and that air will escape and then it'll, it'll re it'll build back up. Or like another tactic, another like way to do it is you can burp your chest seals or you can have vented chest seals. But if you don't have vented chest seals, you can burp your, your chest seal. And in theory, they all escape. But a lot of times like the fascia, just the tissue is going to close itself. It's going to move mm -hmm. around and it will close that hole on its own. So just burping or a vented chest seal is a lot of times not going to work. So you'll have to just re-dart, throw in another dart, let that air escape. And then it'll just keep, it'll just keep building. But typically a pneumothorax is, is on one side, right? So you would keep redarting on that one side, just in different locations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, depend, depending on the injury. Yeah. Like let's say it was just a GSW through and through. So you clearly know it's not bouncing around anywhere. It's straight through. Like, you know, you'll throw your chest seals on a lot of times pneumos won't develop. Cause like we're using five, five, six, like these five, five, six or seven, six, two rounds, like, it's not going to develop that quickly. It's going to take 30, 45 minutes. A, a lot of times for those, like if you're there and you see your dude, your buddy get shot, it'll probably be around 30, 45 minutes for it to develop. So you'll put a chest seal on, you'll monitor the guy, you'll wait and see how he trends his vitals and, and how he's breathing, just talking to him. And then you'll move into a dart and like, we, like we can go here or we can go like here. This is like where we're going now um, in the military in general, just because of like being able to keep the kid on for the guy. Um, it's a little bit safer for just, you know, say brand new medics, like we're just dudes just learning. Like if you're going here, like the whole like mid clavicular line, a lot of times guys will move inside it and then you're starting to risk puncturing the heart, which is definitely not good. So like we've moved into just doing it on the anterior axillary line, like on your side, like just underneath the armpit, won't puncture on the sides. And like, you'll just kind of slowly either move up, move down a little bit, maybe now move into the mid clavicular area. Or a lot of times too, like if you're, you go out there and you got four, four darts, you got, you know, four needle decompression, like you got four of them. Um, what you can do is, which is not good practice. Like I'm definitely not saying this is best practice, but you can pull that out, rethread your needle and reuse on the same patient, of course. But like, this is like, this is like real bad case scenario. You don't have the equipment. They're just not getting better. I have nothing like this is an option. Definitely yeah. not good practice. And it's like in a clinical setting, like that's very bad. <laughs> like you're going to get in trouble for that for sure. But like, if that's what you come down to, that's what you, that's what you have. Hmm. All right, let's, let's ask a more fun question. What's like the scariest thing um, you may be asked to do as a PJ? Like personally, what's what's your fear in the field? I hate jumping. Like 
I don't mind jumping out of a plane. I hate landing. I freaking hate it. I, I hate landing because you're always getting hurt. Not injured. You always get hurt, but like a lot of times you're going to get injured too. I hate that. But if we're like out in a combat setting or out like real world, like, I mean, I don't care who you are. You're probably going to get scared if you're involved in a, in like a, in a tick or like if people are shooting at you, like you're going to get scared. Like it's just, I would say that would be scary. Of course. Well, that, that's why I was trying to get into that, that mindset of a, of a PJ because it is a different uh, realm. Like you ask most rescue swimmers and the reason they want to join is they'll always say like, I wanted the challenge of an elite military program, but I wanted the ability to save lives versus take them. And an Air Force PJ is also tasked with saving lives while being tasked, tasked with combat. Um, yes, yeah, so not tasked with like going out there and, you know, taking lives like we're there for especially like even if you augment or you're with a team you're tier one and you're with a team like they're kicking doors down and they, that you know they're doing that they're door kickers for sure but like your task is their medic primary you're gonna at the end of the day like you're you're going to be involved in the fight of course like you're gonna put your gun up and you're gonna fire um and you're gonna shoot at anything that shoots back at you for sure but ultimately to me this is like everybody has a different opinion but to me like you're ultimately you're the medic and i'm there to be a medic i'm not there to just go out there and kill people like i'm gonna go out there and treat the dudes i need to treat and a lot of times like there are a lot of stories of like pj's also treating the enemy you know that happens a lot yeah interesting yeah do do you know do you know stories like that yourself not enough to like speak on them speak on them like, I mean, guys come back, they're not like guys don't really talk about what they've done, what they saw a lot of times, especially like if it was a real no shit, like damn kind of scenario. But like, yeah, you, you, you hear it throughout, like, you know, triple down and everybody talking about it. Like you do end up hearing stories, but yeah, not enough for me to talk on it. Here, here's like a probably stupid question, but you say like, uh, peaches have helped the enemy, um, you know, like in World War II, technically, like the paramedics or the the medics are not to be shot at. They're like people there to relief and to to assist. And like, is that within the Geneva? I don't know. Um, but there's no such thing for like the PJs, right? Like you guys don't have a big old cross. Yeah, on just, your... yeah. That's the that's a big difference between us. Is like we don't have that red cross, and we do carry weapons. Like your your medics with the red cross, like on the birds, on themselves, like they're not carrying, you know, M4s on them. They're not strapped up with M4s running out there. Like that's what differentiates us is we do have that. We have that capability of, we are tactically trained. Like we go through tactics portions. We go through courses. Once you get in, you go out and train with rangers, you know, do, and you know, SEALs and everybody, and you do CQB training, do all that stuff. And that kind of different, that sets us apart from just your standard, like medic go out there and have a big red, cross on yourself and it's just we yeah so a lot of times we don't do a lot of csar roles we get that taken away from us by your standard medics because they don't they don't necessarily need like that force the pj force or whatever or whatever gotcha yeah now that being said the stupid question was in afghanistan and iraq would medics be shot at you think in a in a war type or like a hostile type scenario yeah I think anybody gets like, I don't think they care. I don't think they yeah. care who, 
you're an American, it don't matter who you are as an American. I think you're going to get shot at. Like when I was out there, there was, there was like, not, not me personally, but like there was stuff going on and like, you know, it just, it shows you that like a lot of times they really don't give a shit mm-hmm. who it is. Like they're going to, if you're an American and you look like an American, you're going to be shot at for sure. Hmm. Do you think there was a war where the medic system was honored as far as not getting shot at? No, not at all. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think, I think people honored it. Certain people honored it, but ultimately, like, I think those medics at some point or other in World War II were definitely, definitely shot at. Maybe certain people were like, okay, I'm going to honor this. Like just their, um, their morale or like that's you know their mentality that's what they decided but not I don't think everyone I think most of the time they're going to be getting shot at hmm. wow. well it's a really cool job um, you do what would you uh, like parting words as far as anybody trying to go down the, the Air Force PJ route you know what would you recommend as far as like the, the pipeline and training um, before you go in, definitely train up on just your cows and running and swimming and stuff like just so you can get through it, just get through that first phase, that initial, like what is now ANS, just get through that. And once you're through that, it's just going to be like just a sunrise all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is so much better. Not only that, but once you get through the pipeline itself, it gets even better because you're still dealing with a lot of stuff through the pipeline. But once you get through that, just get through those first two to three years. Just embrace the suck, really, ultimately. Just get through it, and then life's going to get a lot better, and you're going to really enjoy uh, the PJ career. Any any fuck-ups or mistakes that you personally did, um, you know, looking back on it, that you would do differently? I mean, yeah, I had fuck-ups all the way through. Um, I would definitely go into, like, from the beginning before even go through basic, I would, I if I go back, I would try to learn and, and understand PJs a little bit more because I was a little caught off guard, not knowing anything about them going in. Um, and then moving past that, like, <clears throat> I wish I could have developed better relationships with these other courses, like when you go through SEER or if you go through Airborne, starting to, to like network and building relationships with outside branches, other branches, sister services and stuff. And then because like ultimately at the end of the day, it's always about who you know. There was a couple guys I met at Airborne that were like CCA whiskeys and other medics, like and just becoming friends with them was super beneficial. Like if I would have done that a little more, maybe there'd be more people I could know and I can like grow more as a PJ just from based off the people that I know. That was a big learning point for me, but yeah, I mean, everybody's got their own things, but yeah, I mean, you're going to, there's a lot of fuck ups you're going to have, but you got to just understand that and get through it. Hey, last, last little curiosity question too. There's always jokes, uh, you know, inter-service about different boot camps, some being harder than others. I think it's, it's kind of, unargued that marines since it is longer is three months and it's it's drilling in that that marine corps mindset tends to be perceived as like the the harder boot camp but 
the Air Force boot camp is often portrayed as like the the pajama party <laughs> uh, boot camp. What what is your perspective on it? Yeah, I yeah. mean, really, we spent most of the day sitting in a in a classroom. Like, it was it was. I mean, this is my own thought on it. This is not anybody else's. But it was a joke. Like, come on. Like, Interesting. actually test and, and test, like, test people. Like, so there are some things that they do just like they, a lot of these guys, and this is true for across the board, but a lot of these guys do know how to manipulate. And if you like, some people just can't handle it, they will get manipulated. And, and it, that's pretty rough for, you know, but that's across the board. Other side of that, man, all we did was sit in a classroom and go for a jog every now and then. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, Brendan, I actually, Cody, you got anything? No, I got nothing. Yeah. Well, uh, Brendan, thanks so much for coming on. Um, okay. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks appreciate it. it. Take care, man. Great. So we love having different people from different services. Uh, Air Force PJ, Brendan Deckard. Uh, hopefully we can get some more gnarly, like elite military folks, you know? Yeah. Well, we got a Navy rescue summer possibly soon. Oh yeah. Yeah. What about like a marine recon? That'd be cool. I don't know any. Like I don't even know one. What about a dive? Obviously, don't. What? What about a smoke jumper? We need some smoke jumpers. On oh, the that'd podcast. be cool. Yeah. yeah. I think I actually. Um. No, I don't know one. I know a guy training for that, but actually, he doesn't do it. That'd I just cool. watched that movie uh, on Netflix with the with the smoke jumpers. It was so good. It wasn't really? that good, but it was pretty good. Yeah, they punch here. No, I won't ruin it for you guys tuning in. Yeah. Yeah, I will. They all die. They all die, Cody. They all die. They wrap themselves in their little tinfoil, like little cozy, what do you call That's it, sleeping bags. And they're like, let's hope and pray. And they stick their heads in the dirt and they die. Really? Yeah, and it's a true story. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, um, man, it's hardcore. What's it called? Paying more than $30,000 a year. What's it called? Uh, smoke Jumper? or oh, Smoke Jumper. Or the Hot Shots. Those are two different. Hot, no, that's but they, they kind of serve this similar... Yeah, I think it is called Hot Shots, maybe. Oh, nice. It's big actors in there. That's intense. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so please go to the rescuesummermindset.com to, to join the strike that we have going on for the the pays of the smoke jumpers. We think it is outrageous that it is so small. <laughs> so riot. join there, join the <laughs> and vote today. Yeah, we, we recorded this podcast just before the, uh, the election. So tomorrow either... President yeah. Trump or President Biden will be in office. But that's not what's important. What's important is you vote for the smoke jumpers who are being paid pennies on the dollar for risking their lives in their little thermal sleeping bags. Thank you for what you do. It's been a rough year. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's get to uh, what we have going on in the Rescue Storm Mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So the podcast is humming along, but we'll kind of talk about some of the so some of the stuff we got, you know, we got. Did you some say product. humming along. Humming along. <laughs> we get, <laughs> so <laughs> we have a couple courses that we're going to talk about today. Um, let's talk about your course first. How to hold your breath like a helicopter rescue swimmer. Um, yeah, here's the deal. Everyone's still hitting us up about water confidence, and yes, that is the most challenging thing. If you're going the Air Force PJ route, probably even the Navy SEAL route. That's that's and the rescue swimmer route. That's definitely a challenge. And if you're a free diver that's trying to get better, then, you know, this course would be very beneficial to you. Um, 
but yeah, we're, we're not planning on, on coming out just yet with a, a water confidence training because my course, uh, the hold your breath, like a helicopter rescue swimmer course is really encapsulating of everything you need to know as far as the knowledge, uh, surrounding breath holding. Um, so the course involves, you know, how to expand your lung capacity techniques before you dive because like a lot of people don't understand that it's not necessarily what you do once you're underwater it's what you do prior to and i don't just mean training i mean like your preparatory breathing so it goes into that that's a whole chapter in itself then once you are underwater the technique to move efficiently with or without fins uh two different sections so this is a video course it's available at the rescue slash breathe so again, if you just go into the rescue swimmer mindset.com and just check out our programs, you can find the hold your breath, like a helicopter rescue swimmer program and, uh, get your knowledge on as well as, as trainings and, uh, apnea tables. So you can really develop, you know, how long you can uh, hold your breath. And yeah, we, we had some people take the course and I think it's pretty cool watching, uh, the comments, somebody said like they they've held their breath now for like three minutes which is not nothing to laugh at so um reveal it's pretty good yeah yeah it's really cool i think i mean my uh, i can't i can't you gotta you gotta get the course if you want to see my end result at the end uh, where i hold my breath so i won't (laughs) spoiler alert that's like the last chapter is they're gonna buy a course just for that (laughs) just to watch me hold my breath at the top of a, a 14 i think it was like a 14 thousand uh foot mountain so the altitude played a different not to make excuses but it really does uh i I wanted to test it myself so that's why i did that but um so check it out the hold your breath like a helicopter rescue swimmer program cool yep so we got that and then um a course that we also wrote pretty recently and released a couple months ago is the 1.5 mile time run training so a lot of courses you know rescue swimmer school we have the one and a half mile run navy seals do the one and a half mile run pjs do the one and a half mile run so it's just a course that's designed to get that run, you know, to the, to where it needs to be. Um, generally I'd say like, if you take the core, it's hard to like, you know, guess results, but generally like you can see like a big kind of drop. So if you're running like a 12 minute mile and a half and you take the course, I would guess if you are sticking to the workouts and kind of hitting the, uh, the projections kind of in the course, you could probably drop it down into like the tens ideally. And then, you know, when you get into like the nines, it's going to be harder to drop the time down. Like, Typically someone running like a 12 minute mile and a half wants to get into the 10. Someone's running in like a, like a nine, something wants to get into the eight. So with this course, if you hit the workouts, you're pretty likely to do that. I would say, um, obviously like, it's like kind of like a one-time thing. There's a lot of diminishing returns. So if you take it one time, you'll definitely like see a huge improvement in your mile and a half, you know, PJ's apparently it's a nine thirty seven. What do you say? Nine thirty seven for his something minute. around there. Yeah. Pretty fast. So this course would definitely help with that. Um, you can basically stack these workouts on top of any other training program you're going through. So if you like have a strength training program, water confidence, water conditioning program, and you want to get, just get faster and want a specialized course for that, you can take the workouts from this training. Cause they're all, there's no strength or anything. in it. it's just speed work, aerobic conditioning, building aerobic base. You can stack those workouts in whatever training program you're on, on top of, or you can stack this program on top of those workouts. So it's a good course. How does it feel uh, yourself personally running a mile and a half now as a as an older gentleman now? I did a mile recently. We did had an RSM train challenge, so I did the mile. And I got like, I think 530, 540 or something. 
So I would guess I'm, I should do it pretty soon here and kind of see what I get. I would, it feels about the same, honestly. Like I don't feel much difference, you know, between like freaking when I was in summer school at like 19 now, like I if anything, I'm faster now than I was then, you know? So are you heavier though? Yeah. Heavier. Mm, that's cool. I'm heavier like probably 20 faster. pounds. Yeah. It's just, I think it just comes down to that building that aerobic base, you know, the more you train, you just get more fit. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah. Maybe I'll post a one and a half mile run time soon. Um, uh, the RSM training circle on Facebook, check that out. We do have a lot of different services now that have joined in, yeah. joined in and are, are communicating and sharing information. So check that out and also check out our weekly challenges where, you know, Cody just spoke about the, uh, the mile run. That was kind of cool seeing those, those numbers. And then, uh, baskets in that class or in that, in that group, we had a guy who ran like a five, almost like a five minute, I think like pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah people crushing it and then we also have the uh the pull-up challenge right now which is pretty it could be better y'all it could be i mean myself included it could be better yeah. so well we, so we, just get got on the, we just got a 20 so oh we got a 20 pull-ups all right, ago, we got all right 20. i take it back i take it back i take it back so. that the yeah it's people are stepping their game up so if you think you'd be 20 pull-ups on the challenge join the rsm uh training circle on facebook um yep. great what about coaching uh, yeah, coaching. If you want to, if you want me to coach you, just send us a DM. I don't have like a coaching um, tab on the on the website just because I kind of want to vet the person who's trying to contact me. Basically, I'm only going to coach people who are training for rescue summer school. So, if you're trying to join the coach right now, like everyone I coach is everyone I coach right now besides one, and the person who I don't who I coach now who's not training to be rescue summer is just kind of grandfathered in. But if you're training to be a rescue summer and you want me to coach you, you can just send me a DM or send an email to rsmguide at gmail.com and I'll ask some questions and see if you're a good fit. And then we'll go from there. Um, but yeah, both both the guys I'm training right now who are joining the Coast Guard, one guy is in the, in the Coast Guard, is in the NX program, and the other guy is gonna join, he's got like a boot camp date for uh, the end of the year. They're doing well, and um, I think they're gonna be solid candidates, but you know, it's always hard to tell. Um, until you get the right summer school, but time will tell. So yeah, just send me a DM. Right All right. Lastly on the agenda is the Wildertainment podcast. Nice. Oh boy. If you guys haven't checked this one out yet, it just released yesterday. Um, so check that out. It's still under the rescue summer mindset podcast. So it's, it's a series that we're starting um, all geared about around wilderness entertainment. So anything related to survival stories or just pretty phenomenal stories of, of just challenges out in the outdoors, uh, whether that be rock climbing, that be canoeing, kayaking, survival. Uh, the s next week is already recorded, and that is with Gina Panuzzi, and she survived a helicopter crash uh, in Utah. And I think I, I talked about it briefly, but it's it's probably one of the gnarliest stories I've ever heard in my life. Uh, it was actually pretty hard to to host that podcast. So check that out. She's a phenomenal human being. Um, so that's the Wildertainment podcast. And yeah, you can listen to it right where you're listening to this if you are on any kind of podcast app. But it's also going to be on YouTube under Wildertainment. So that's like wilderness and entertainment exhibits. Wildertainment. Yeah, podcast. and those are going to be coming out on Wednesdays, right? 
Wildertainment Wednesdays, Cody. Wildertainment Wednesdays. Wildertainment Wednesdays. Subscribe to the podcast and you'll just freaking probably just get a little little update on your phone whenever it gets uploaded. So bear with me on the first podcast, though. That was, you know, that's the introductory podcast, which just old Vinny Two Crocs that tells his own wilderness adventure story. So that one's involving a bear and waking up next to a bear. That's exciting. Yeah, check that out. (laughs) Yeah. Great. So, um, yeah, and Cody, we'll have you on as a guest with your gnarly mountain lion story. That's all we're going to Oh, say. the mountain lion one. That yeah, mountain that'd be lion good. story. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Wildertainment Podcast. Anything else do we have for today? I think that's it. All right. Rescue Swimmer Mindset Podcast. Over. I want to be a